channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy sponsored by SAGE. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And on today's show, we're interviewing Sage colleague of mine, Brad Smith. Well, Ron, you know we had Joe Pine on about a month ago, right? Yes. And great guest, talked to us extensively about his thoughts on customer experience, economy, a uh, fantastic theoretician, and we got very confused when he talked about the multiverse and all of the, that, that kind of stuff, because it's very <laughs> difficult to explain on a radio show, but he did a fantastic job. Uh, I would like to introduce you to a guy who I have had the pleasure of knowing for the past three years, who is the uh, EVP of customer experience at Sage, and has actually put some of Joe Pine's work into actual real practice. Uh, just quick example, and we'll talk more about these later, but uh, the, the, the whole idea and concept of Sage City, which is our online community, uh, was, was under the, the tutelage of, of Brad and how we've created the, this massive online community with, I think, over a million hits a month right now. Um, and and it's, it's just been a fantastic experiment in just watching someone put, put this stuff into play. So welcome, with that as an introduction, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Brad. Wow, thank you so much. It's a, it's, I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, as I said, we're, we're colleagues. You are the, honored by being the first colleague of mine ever to appear on the Soul of Enterprise. We've been doing this show for almost a year. It'll be a year in July. And uh, I, I've always wanted to have you on the show, and schedules were back and forth, and we finally decided that this would be a good time. So uh, really thrilled to have you. But before we talk about the SAID stuff, Brad, let's just talk a little bit about your background. You've got a, a fairly eclectic background coming to this position of customer experience. Would you mind giving us some thoughts on that? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it, it's, it's funny. I remember... Um, I, I came to Sage by way of Yahoo, and I was the VP of customer experience at Yahoo, and was at Yahoo uh, for almost three years. And I remember in my interview uh, with the uh, North American CEO, he looked at my resume and he says, "You know, all this is very interesting, but you know, why why do you think you uh, deserve a job here at Sage?" And I said, "Well, that's easy. Go back to the very first job that I had on my resume." And uh, growing up in Merritt Island, Florida, I got my pilot's license before I got my driver's license. And I uh, started work at a small flight school, general aviation flight school uh, there as I uh, navigated my way into junior college and uh, worked my way up through the ranks. And after two and a half years, the owners decided to go into partial retirement. 
So uh, they were going to move up to North Carolina. They asked me to run the, uh, the, the business for them at the ripe age of 22 and uh, oversee the 27 employees that they had, including three that were their kids, but they didn't trust to run the business. And I, I found myself uh, installing and using Peachtree accounting software on a Macintosh Lisa and uh, running that business for a year and a half. And it was the most exciting and terrifying experience I've ever enjoyed. And it's really kind of formed everything I am and everything I've been since then, right? That, that uh, you know, it, razor thin margins, uh, massive complexity, responsible for everything from HR to marketing to inventory control to customer experience and, the, you know, all of that. Um, so that was my, I'll call that my formative experience. And from there, I've always been a huge fan and advocate of all things small business. And I found it fascinating that after going from there to Kennedy Space Center for eight and a half years and, and doing a ton of work, uh, launching shuttles and writing code and sitting in the launch control room and then moving from there to Oracle and from Oracle to a company called OpenWave that pretty much invented the wireless internet, uh, from there to VeriSign into sales and marketing for Inquira, from there to Semantic, and then to Yahoo, and then all of a sudden back to Sage. It, it was kind of like coming home again. Um, <laughs> but throughout all of those experiences and doing everything from software quality, writing code, bringing products and services to market, a ton of customer service and support, uh, focus work, uh, be, acting as the interim chief marketing officer for Sage North America for 11 months. Um, you kind of see that the thing that's in common with all of those experiences is that this idea of the customer life cycle and the simple, you know, uh, Sunday school lesson of, um, you know, you teach people how to treat you. So live by the golden rule and goodness will follow. So I'd say that that was a long and twisted answer to a long and twisted career path, but um, I, it feels like I'm home and it feels like I'm doing good and righteous work. And, you know, what more does anybody want out of their job than that? And and who doesn't want to be introduced to someone who you're, you are actually a rocket scientist in a sense. I, well, I, I know some and I've written code that could have, could have blown up a rocket. So I, I guess that's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> And was the, was the transition then to, to the customer experience in the Oracle days or the OpenWave days? When did you really get away from the, the technical aspect over to the full-blown customer experience stuff? I, I recognized at Symantec uh, back in probably 2007 that um, this is my calling. And um, I, was, I had the pleasure of working underneath Ashling Hassel, who was the chief uh, customer officer for Symantec at the time. And I was put on a team that was building out the business architecture of their uh, commerce lifecycle. So if you think about a typical customer lifecycle and you start with awareness and marketing and then you go to sales and then you go to service and then hopefully there's a repeat business there, um, that continuum that a prospect who moves into a customer travels against um, has a series of touch points that enable that customer to make it through that journey. Right below those touch points are a set of processes and policies that enable those touch points to be made real. Below that, you've got, you know, systems and tools and technology, and then below that, you have foundational data systems. And then all of that is supported by, you know, uh, typically a, a fairly siloed organizational uh, hierarchy. And when you start to map things out like that, and you start to think about the business architecture, what you suddenly see emerge on the wall is these massive gaps where... 
there isn't technology, data, or processes, or policies, or overlaps, and huge gaps where there, nobody really owns the customer journey in this segment. And after living in a world of technical support and service for a very long time and uh, realizing that you know, my job is basically to keep everyone else's promises and always trying to push upstream and it's like, gosh, if only sales would listen to us or if only technology product guys would listen to us and recognizing the fact that you know, we're all in this together and people unknowingly put pressure in the system upstream or downstream and depending where you sit against that customer lifecycle, your point of view is skewed. But seeing it at that high level and recognizing that this is the golden thread that ties every one of these conversations together, uh, I'd say that was my big aha moment. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but customer experience as an emerging field of endeavor was just starting to get ahead of steam probably 2005, 2006. So um, jumping into that and really trying to understand it and make it my, uh, my passion and my calling and my career uh, was a timely decision on my part. Worked out well. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. We had uh, Jody Thompson on the show a couple of months ago, and she's behind the, one of the, the brain trusts behind the whole results-only work environment. So she approaches it from more of an employee standpoint. And one of the things that she she talked about this great story is is how she has a a, a friend of hers, a neighbor who worked for a uh, major department store in the Midwest. You can figure that out in about five seconds, but that's what she said. So I'll, I'll stick with that. And she said, and she asked her neighbor, "So is is the store open New Year's Day?" And her friend didn't know. And then. She said, "Okay, well, I, I, she, so she went to the website, and the website wouldn't say whether or not her local store was open on New Year's Day. And she even called, and and what she, this was the realization. She said that that no nobody owned the customer, nobody mm-hmm. owned the customer, right. <laughs> because yeah. because we had when, and this is a great illustration of those gaps you were talking about. How could how could a major retailer like that not have whether or not they're open?" on a particular day on their website. It's just crazy. It's, you know, and, and you see that time and time again, and, and you know, um, it's so funny, right? It's never the big, big, big drop of a customer experience. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's laws of physics. There's going to be that massive, uh, you know, screw up that results in a really failed customer promise. But typically, if a company's good and honest they're going to recover from that and actually become stronger from that and actually will build huge customer relationships on the backside of that. But it's these little tiny things, these little tiny, tiny, tiny cuts um, that nobody sees, nobody, nobody realizes it. But, you know, one, one of the things that, that you start to realize is, is that, you know, every waking moment you're having a interaction with amazing brands around your life. And, you know, when you, when you go to work, you're a part of that brand. And, and when you're shopping as a part of a B2B exchange or if you're shopping as part of a consumer, you're dealing with brands. And even, you know, the technology that you touch in your daily life. But the thing about it is that every one of those interactions, right, whether it's me looking at a web page and reading something or touching something or doing something, every single one of those interactions is kind of like a micro withdrawal or deposit from my rational and my emotional subconscious. And these little things, they leave behind feelings, you know? And psychologically speaking, a year from now, you and I may not remember the details of this conversation, but we're certainly going to remember how it made us feel. And we're going to remember this as a positive 
conversation, hopefully not a negative conversation, <laughs> and worse yet, maybe we have no memory of it at all, right? But these little things, they add up to how we feel about a brand or a company, and, and they drive our belief systems, and they drive our behaviors. And so if you're constantly reinforced with great experiences, and then all of a sudden you come to one that's not on par, it stands out. It stands out as a huge anomaly, you know, in that emotional bank of withdrawals and deposits. And so just, you know, I tell people all the time, Sage's, custom, you know, Sage's competition, as an example, isn't all these other software technology vendors in the SMB space. It's Zappos, it's Amazon, it's Disney, it's Starbucks, it's, it's all of these other great consumer experiences that happen around us all the, all the time. And that, you know, in the world of customer experience, you're constantly running up a down escalator just trying to maintain pace. And if you're really good, you're going to have to run much faster to get ahead of the competition. Yeah, and one of the things that, that Ron and I talk a lot about is, is especially because we deal mostly with professional fer- service organizations, you know, myself and my role at Sage with our, our partner organizations coaching them. And Ron comes to us from the CPA community where he works a lot with, with accountants and lawyers uh, and that. And w- one of the things we say is, look, to differentiate yourself on, on true customer service, you got you to gotta compare yourself to world class because in these businesses – Having good customer service is a table stake, right? That's yep. just that you just get that for showing up. You got to have that. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, we are up against our first break already. Conversation going so quickly, but so thank you, Brad. But I want to remind all of our listeners that if they want to get a hold of us during the show today, they can use Twitter and send a tweet out to hashtag Ask. T-S-O-E, that's Ask the Soul of Enterprise, and we are monitoring that during the show. So anybody who wants to talk to Brad that way, please feel free to do so. Of course, after the show, you can get our show notes at verisage.com slash T-S-O-E, and please participate in that as well. And we'd love for you to go to the iTunes store and review the podcast because that uh, is really helpful for us and to continue the work that we're doing on the show. So thanks. But in the meantime, what we want you to do is hear from our sponsor, and that is going to be the folks at Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash T-S-O-E to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Brad Smith, the uh, CXO, I guess, Brad, I can say, uh, the customer experience officer with Sage. And you, uh, I was looking at your LinkedIn uh, profile, and you've got uh, some articles up that I thought were really good. And in one of them, you talk about how Sage does a lot of surveys, and in one particular survey, only one-third of the respondents cited increasing customer loyalty as a key component of their business growth plans. And I mean, given how important it is, I mean, you even say earning customer loyalty demands constant focus on customer experience. Mm-hmm. But, and given how important you know, keeping a customer, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the statistic. One, which I find pretty stark, is that AICPA says it costs a firm 11 times more to acquire a customer than to keep one. Why do you think the focus in most businesses is about acquisition and not retention? It's, um, yeah, it, it, is, it is remarkable. Absolutely. Um, you know, I do quite a bit of speaking uh, across industry circles. And one of my favorite things to do is to ask an audience of a couple hundred uh, business type people, um, how much of next year's revenue is going to come from this year's customer base? And right. the, if the answer is anywhere north of 60%, then you should probably care a lot about customer churn and customer retention. Uh, most, most firms, it's in the high 80s, if not the 90s, right? Most, most firms are, you know, unless they're growing double-digit growth year over year, you know, a uh, typical small business is probably in the ballpark of, um, you know, 4 to 15% maybe. Um, and so that install base is a massive, massive thing. We, we look at, I, I, look, I look at this quite a bit, and the thing that you've got to realize is the following, right? You've got the average revenue that comes from that typical customer. Um, you've got uh, their referenceability, which totally adds to the cost to acquire problem that you may or may not have. Um, you've got their ability to, to buy and do more with you. And you lose all that the second they leave the door. So if you're pursuing, let's say, 6% organic growth year over year, and your retention rate is, I don't know, 85%, well, how much do you really have to grow just to maintain against your business plan, right? Suddenly, instead of solving for a new customer acquisition problem of 6% growth, you're, you're, what, you're, you're striving now for 25 30%. And if your business is wired and set up from a margin stability focus point of view um, for 6% growth, but yet you've got to achieve 25, 30% virtual growth to make up for what you lost, that gets you so exhausted and so forward focusing that it actually starts to ripple on the backside. Instead of losing you know, uh, 10% this year, you, you might be losing 15% next year and 20% the year after that because you start to lose your focus, right? You're so forward-looking, you forget about the backwards focus. 
but it happens in even big companies all the time, right? How many people own a, uh, a an AT and T phone or a Verizon phone? And you know, you're you're on that cell plan and you're paying whatever you pay a month, and all of a sudden you see, oh wow, what do you know? Brand new customer gets a free plan for two years. <laughs> exactly. I've been with you for ten years, right? And so, what are we reinforcing here? Exactly. Um, it's it's just it's it's nearly criminal, right? And and the other thing is, and which I find equally fascinating, chances are all the new customers you're chasing have all the same problems and all the same needs and the core value propositions that you could service are already resonant in your current install base. So if you really want to know how to attract new customers understand what your current customers are and what they need and what their hopes and fears are and what their needs are, over-service those things, and just through organic growth and referenceability, you're, you're going to more than hit your new customer acquisition number, right? Because yep. of this you know, social media sharing economy that we live in now. It's such a good point about how these companies are so focused on the acquisition that they do nothing for their, you know, their con- they're loyal customers. That's just a big bugaboo of mine with like cell phones and cable plans and things like that. Um, one industry I have to say, and I know I'm going to get just flayed for this, but I'm going to say it. I think the airlines have done a really good job with this, with their loyalty programs. At least they, if I'm loyal to an airline, they reward it. They earn that loyalty and they do it every day. And I really do appreciate that, even though I know the airlines aren't the greatest customer experience, you know, industry. But they, what, what do you think of their airline uh, loyalty programs? Do you think they've been effective from that standpoint, at least? No, I, I, I do. I do. But I also, I mean, you know, again, my early days in general aviation, um, the, the airlines operate in such amazingly thin margins. And everything is based upon how many seats are full on a particular flight. And if they don't hit that, that, that full seat number, um, their margins erode dramatically, right? And there's right. so much cost and complexity in that business. So they have a laser focus on how many seats are filled and how many passengers they have. And so they realized that pretty soon, you know, hey, if we're not building a great loyalty program to really drive volume onto these flights, uh, we're going to be in a world of hurt. And in a world where... It's a highly commoditized thing, right? You know, the basic differences between United American Airlines and Delta, if I were to fly from John Wayne Airport here in Orange County to Atlanta, Georgia, basically the same, right? Very, very few differences there. So how do you differentiate yourself? Well, loyalty programs is the greatest thing ever. And when you look at the frequent flyer and the business flyer, that's where that's where the revenue is. That's, that's where the volume is. And that's what you have to do. So I think they pioneered a lot of different uh, models on loyalty plans. I think uh, some have gotten it right. Some are still struggling, but the general idea of really the huge focus on the loyalty program and then allowing the loyalty program to be the siren song that drives in new customers and saying, man, if I was a part of this loyalty program, look at the perks I get. This is huge. I want to be a part of this loyalty program. It becomes its own marketing force, if, if you will. It does. And, and, you know, your point about the loyal customers can teach you so much. I mean, Disney, uh, I, went, I attended a Disney University customer loyalty course for three and a half days. And they said that Disney views its guests as paying consultants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, no, oh, that's, that's very interesting. 
Yeah, very no, interesting it, way to think about it. It's it's spot on. But but the other nuance here about the loyalty program and the danger of the airline industry, because I don't want us to be in an airline love fest. I have, I have to slam right, them right. slightly. <laughs> I, I am blessed because I did a lot of work on Oracle's Y2K program. And uh, during those days, I became a million-mile flyer on United, which means I'm, I'm premier gold exec for life, which is fantastic. And uh, every time I take a flight on United, God love them, they put me on the automatic upgrade list, and every time I go there, they provide a highly transparent customer experience where I walk up to the gate, and I look up on the screen, and I say, yep, sure enough, there's my name in queue for the upgrade. I'm number 72 of 85 people who are waiting for the upgrade, and there's one seat available in first class. And you'll never get it. You know. so, I, I, so, you know, if everyone's special, nothing special. Right? Yes, yes. Let's, let's think about how we do this, right? That's why I love gamification and reputation models and this sort of thing, right? Mix it up. Make, make, make it a mystery, you know? It will, and we'll always save that last seat on a random spin of the wheel or something. But, um, you know, it's, it's, there's got to be better ways to motivate your, your loyal customers than to say, oh, okay, you get to sit in the premier line of which, oh, by the way, everybody else is already in, you know? Right, right. I, You know, just one uh, other point about your loyal customers, too. All, all the benefits they bring, you know, you don't have to acquire them, you know about them, and all. so their cost to serve goes down. But also you can get a price premium for them because they're more loyal, so they perceive more value. And one of the things I like from a pricing perspective of the airline programs is if I fly a different, I'm United, too. If I fly Delta, uh, even if I pay the same I would have paid on United, I'm actually paying them more. So they can charge their non-frequent flyers actually more money in the minds of the customer um, yeah, and, right. and charge their loyal customers less because they're getting the miles. And, and that's, yeah. a good psycho, that's good psychology. Um, in your LinkedIn profile, you've got a statement of, you know, what, statements of what do I believe. And, and one sure. of them, I just love this. You say, I believe that if you don't get the brilliant basics right, it doesn't matter how many magic moments you provide your customers, they will leave you. And, you know, for, we could talk about all these great things about exceeding expectations, and you can look at companies that try and do that. But if I go to a hotel and I have to spend 45 minutes in a check-in line, uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm terrible for the rest of that trip. I mean, I'm just, that whole experience has been ruined for me. And I just wonder sometimes why some of these large organizations can't even get the basics right. Well, yeah, I, or they're so overly focused on creating a, a wow or a magic moment or an extraordinary experience that they forget about the table stakes. Um, great example of this would be uh, when I was at Yahoo, um, you know, a lot of energy was put on Yahoo's front page and their, and their different uh, properties. They call them Yahoo Life, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Movies, Yahoo Finance, etc. cetera. Um, and one of the problems that we were facing was um, people who forgot their email password, they can't reauthenticate. And when you register for the Yahoo email, Back in the day, yes, as I did, uh, <laughs> you, you probably came up with a password sequence and security questions that might have seemed completely rational to a 19-year-old, but now you're in your 40s and you're trying to recover your Yahoo password, and what you realize is the Yahoo is your passport to your digital and connected life. And mm -hmm. in that email and in those photos could be years of memories. And suddenly it's all in jeopardy because you can't remember your favorite movie star from BJ and the Bear 
and you know you're failing the security <laughs> protocols, right? And, and and to think, wait, you know, the letters from my father who died five years ago are now being held hostage to my ability to remember the monkey's name from BJ and the Bear. For the love of God, are you kidding me? But something so basic that is so fundamental to somebody, but completely forgotten because it's all about the gleam of the, oh, well, look at this resolution on the tablet, right? So that's the thing, right? These subtle little things really make all the difference in the world. And if you, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, you manage what you measure, you measure what you manage, and, and where you inspect, that's what the organization respects, right? And so where's your focus? So if you have these core fundamental processes that are essential to you keeping the doors open and servicing your customers throughout the acquisition phase, the sales phase, the service phase, and the retention phase, if you're not monitoring those things just from a pure health and hygiene point of view, and if you don't occasionally, nay, I say frequently, walk in the shoes of a prospect and understand what it is to buy from yourself, what it is to be served by yourself, if you're not secret shopping, if you will, you're going to miss something. And to miss those things, you're, you're, you're making such an impactful brand impression that you're going you're gonna to build a, uh, you know, an Internet troll for life. They will hound you until the day you die because of the injustice that you did to them. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's a great point. You know, in another one of your articles, too, you talked about the Carnival Cruise Lines in the Royal Caribbean, you know, and when they had those problems with the bugs on board and people were quarantined and all that. And that's obviously a, a crisis situation. But even on a more mundane level, I, I have a simple heuristic to separate excellent service companies from mediocre ones. See if you I want to get your take on this. I think what one of the things that separates an excellence in service organization from one that isn't is how they deal with customer complaints. Sure. And if you look like organizations like Ritz or even Marriott, Disney, you know, they all have mechanisms in place that kind of follow the six steps you lay out um, for dealing with a crisis, I think, are pretty close to how you should deal with a customer complaint because it's going to happen to air as human and do you agree with that? Do you think there's something to the customer, how, how a business handles complaints? I absolutely do. Um, I'm a big fan of the saying that um, our, uh, our actions betray our intentions. So mm. if you're dealing with a company that pronounces its love of all things customer and uh, their marketing slogan is, you know, customers first and customers for life and those sorts of things, when it matters most, if they're not there to represent that promise because their policies are uh, unable to do that because uh, the empowerment of the customer service representative to do the right thing isn't apparent, or worse yet, um, management just doesn't care. You know, this, this complaint went into the inbox and it went nowhere. Um, that is a telltale sign. And understanding not only to resolve that customer issue, but to your point, right, this is your research firm. This is a customer exposing to you where you have flaws in your infrastructure, where you have flaws in your customer journey, where you have, uh, you know, you've opened up a hole of distrust in your brand promise. And so I think it's so crucial not only to, to address those things and to do the right thing and rectify the situation as best as you can, but also to learn from it quickly put it into a process or a system so you can check for, is this systemic? Is this happening everywhere and we just never knew it? Or is it just a one-off, right? right. Um, so I think the, all those things are, are critically important. But 
kind of in the other angle now, you know, going back to the, uh, to the airline example about the frequent flyer program and if everybody's special or nobody's special, or worse yet, the, uh, the telephone example of, hey, I've been paying for years and suddenly the guy next to me has a free phone for next two weeks because <laughs> he's new. You can't overset uh, expectations in a crisis situation either. You know, in the early days of social media, anybody could tweet about a problem at a hotel or a restaurant and suddenly get, you know, free food for life. And, you know, suddenly everybody learned, oh, well, you know, why would I buy proper um, support or service from the sales guy when I can just complain on Twitter and get it for free, right? So, you know, as as Dr. Phil would tell us, right, you teach people how to treat you. and. If you, if you deal with nothing but customer complaints all day long, well, you kind of talk customers. That's the only way they can get value from you. And on the other hand, if you're giving away a free car every time somebody says something bad about you on Twitter, well, guess what? You're also teaching customers how to treat you. So I think, I think balance is the key. And I think, I think more than anything else, fairness and saying, yep, I stand behind this promise. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to make this right. Versus, well, you didn't pay for anything. So, you know, I'm sorry, but... Yeah, it kind of goes back to your golden rule. Brad, we have to jump to a break, but uh, in the meantime, folks, you can always contact Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. And now we want to hear from the folks at Azamba. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, hi, everyone. We're back here, and I want to thank those of you that did go out last week and reviewed the show on iTunes. Ron, I think we got two more iTunes reviews in the past week, so very fantastic. thrilled for that. So thanks for doing that, and those of you that haven't had a chance to do that, please go out and do that. We're here today with Brad Smith, my sage colleague and the global EVP of customer experience. And Brad, I just want to talk to you a little bit about, about customer experience at Sage. Um, one of the first things that, that you were a part of, and, and I remember generating huge excitement, 
excitement a couple of years ago was the was the Sage RV tour. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, luckily at the time, I was uh, both the, uh, the EVP of customer experience and also the acting chief marketing officer. So uh, my ability to promote a crazy idea and get it through committee was, uh, was uh, pretty strong. <laughs> and what we thought was uh, um, Jim Pendergast on my team actually gets credit for this idea. We were having our annual Sage Summit gathering in Washington, D.C. that year. And one of the things we'd run into was... Um, you know, Sage for a long time had, had operated almost as a house of brands, if you will, right? We had legendary brands like Peachtree and Timberline and Best Software and, all, you know, all these, all these different brands. And then we became uh, a single Sage under a single brand umbrella. And in 2012, going into 2013, which is when we had Summit, uh, we, we, you know, we wanted to unify all of our product lines, uh, be more responsive to all of our customers and really start to upsell and cross-sell. So one of the things we wanted to do to, uh, to know that is, you know, we had a bunch of leaders across the company who knew their sector of the business extraordinarily well, and they knew their, their partners, but they didn't really understand the full variety or, 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 or girth, if you will, of the Sage North America customer install base, um, having products that support zero employee companies all the way to, you know, King Hawaiian Bread Company uh, in Southern California that produces you know, God knows how many loaves of bread every day, just a massive enterprise. So um, we decided to drive an RV back from Sage Summit to, uh, to Irvine, California. We ended up driving 8,500 miles across 13 legs. And for a typical leg, uh, you know, a team of executives would fly into Boston, as I did on the Bravo tour. And we'd spend the next uh, three days on the road in the RV uh, visiting three to four to five Sage customers a day in a scheduled visit, but whenever possible, also shopping at Sage customer locales, so staying at a Sage customer hotel, eating at a Sage customer restaurant, buying gas from a Sage customer gas station. And we, we very consciously put executives from different parts of the business together on the RV. We also made a very good push to make sure that we visited all styles, shapes, forms, and sizes of businesses uh, across a given leg. And then whenever possible, we also uh, hosted or took a part in uh, partner events, left, right, and center. Um, so it was a really great way for the executives to get to know each other, get to understand the different parts of the business, and also for us to really, really understand the simple truth that every single business is unique. What success means to them is unique, and what they really need is a strong, strong service partner uh, like Sage to be there for them when they need us. You also gathered some great stories from the different different customers, and there was one in particular. I think it was Philadelphia uh, yeah. about a, a, a guy. I think it was, is it. Am I correct in saying that he? One of the things that he did was he hired ex convicts as part of part of yeah. his business plan. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, Abby Color in Philadelphia, Roger Nielsen. Um, he, uh, you know, it's fascinating. He bought um, he bought a hundred year old uh, factory, classic brick building in the bad side of town of Philadelphia. And as we're, and he's, he's been operating there for over, over a decade, I think uh, close to 20, 25 years. And his purpose was he wanted to give ex-cons a second chance. And he knew if he built uh, in their neighborhood, then you know, transportation needs wouldn't be an issue. And you drive up to this site in the RV and we're looking around and we're like, I don't know that we're in the right place. <laughs> there's graffiti everywhere, there's trash everywhere. 
uh, just, you know, just a classic uh, urban decay a little bit. And then all of a sudden we turn the block and we see his building and it's, and it's beautiful and it's pristine and it's clean and it's just so well maintained. And right behind his building is uh, a park with a little league field. And so we go in and we're talking to Roger about his business and he said, yeah, every morning uh, my crew goes out there and they, they clean up the graffiti and they clean up the trash and they maintain that park. And, uh, you know, my job is to make sure that you come to me and you're going to learn a better way and you have a job for life as long as uh, you, you, you pay your dues so you can do the right thing. So he's a business in transition and he's transitioning it to his kids. But the thing that was very interesting, his son and daughter, uh, both in their uh, 20s, late 20s, it's not just the family business going to the kids. It's about maintaining the sense of mission and community and purpose. And the lives that he's touched and changed are, are just extraordinary. And the, the thing that really touched me about that story is the calling that he feels to do this work. And then also the sense of society and community, right? I mean, he buys exclusively from local providers because he wants to keep all their businesses afloat. And they looked at the economic downturn of 2010, 2011, 2012. And they're like, guys, nobody else is looking out for us. So he actually went out of his way to, to buy uh, advanced uh, lots of dye. He's a dye manufacturer of colorant from local suppliers because they had a really rough month. And this, this sense of stewardship to this community promise and the sense of camaraderie with all the other small businesses in the area and the sense of, you know, touching and changing people's lives as a constant everyday point of his business. Yeah, it was awe inspiring. Absolutely. And, and it's perfect alignment and why I've asked you to share that story, Brad, with, with what the soul of enterprise run, run this show is all about is, you know, we, we believe that business ha- has a spiritual component to it and it, it, it's, it's critically important to keep everybody focused on that. And, w- and when we say spiritual, it's not necessarily religious. You don't have to have a religious bent on it, but it's definitely, it, it's, it's, uh, it's other, right? The, the whole idea no, of transaction is. means no. beyond, beyond the action, you know, beyond the action of, of just us, the transacting business. Um, I, I, we're, and we're coming up against a break. So we got two minutes, but I really want to talk to you a little bit about the Sage city and the online community that, that's, that's been built. So if you give us about two minutes on Sage city, That'd be great. Sage City uh, went from uh, zero users to over 200,000 registered users in in a little under the past two years. Um, People are registering and interacting on the website about 8,700 times a day right now. And what it is, it's a place for, simply put, it's a place where you can find people like me with problems like mine and get great solutions from other small business owners. Um, most, if not all, of the answers provided are from other small business owners or partners. Occasionally, we have Sage moderators that step in and help out. But fun fact, the top 50 contributors from customers who contribute answers every month, and they're answering anywhere from 40 to 200 answers a month, those top 50 represent over 780 years' worth of experience of running a small business with Sage. Wow. That's what Sage City is. That's the wisdom you can tap into. Yeah, and that and that's what makes it a, in, entirely a special place. And and by the way, uh, we do try to post some some stuff about the show out on Sage City. So we we hope to get some some uh, traction on that as well. But we are back up against our last break, and we're with Brad Smith today. Yeah, but we want to remind you that you can visit our website at 
www.verisage.com slash TSOE and we'll put show notes up from our conversation with Brad today and also send us an email at TSOE at Verisage.com and last one last reminder that if you want to get a hold of us just today hashtag ask TSOE on Twitter we'd be happy to read your question to Brad but now uh, we're going to hear Brad from our uh, our employer Sage sounds good Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Brad Smith, the Executive Vice President of Customer Experience with Sage. And Brad, when I took the Disney University course, they cited a uh, Harvard Business Review survey that showed that 65 to 85% of customers who left a company who defected said they were satisfied or very satisfied. And Disney's lesson was satisfaction measures the past, but loyalty is all about the future. What are some of your favorite measurements for customer loyalty? Is, is, would MPS be in that category? NPS is a great one because it's kind of an uncheatable metric. You know, um, if you're familiar with Net Promoter, you basically ask on a scale of zero to ten, um, how willing would you be to recommend uh, Sage to a friend or colleague? And promoters are only scored if they hit us with a nine or a ten. Right. And so to think that you know only a nine or a ten is going to give you that promoter signal is quite extraordinary, right? They've got to really be fans. I mean, that's a, that's a clear declaration of, you know, commitment to give somebody a nine or a 10 on a, on a, you know, on an 11 point scale. So I think, I think that's good because it's uncheatable. I think the problem though is it's not enough to help you build or shape a great customer experience. Um, one of, one of the things that we do here at Sage is um, last year through Sage City or self-help uh, knowledge base, Sage University courses that we teach online, and then of course all of our support interaction channels, phone, chat, email, web, etc. 
we serviced in North America about 5.6 million uh, inbound interactions from customers, right? Um, most of those interactions uh, got resolved with the help of a knowledge base and knowledge articles. And every time we work a, a case for a customer, we create or use a knowledge article and we share those knowledge articles with our customers. The cool thing about a knowledge article is, is that it builds a reputation of its own, right? The more popular the knowledge article is, the more persistent the problem or question is. So that's interesting. But I can also tie it back to a root cause. And by doing that, now I understand, well, what drove the need for that question? What drove that inbound support demand? And when you start to look at the world that way, some very interesting things occur. Really two things, right? I mean, here's the simple truth. Uh, Wherever there's a lot of customer activity, there's clearly value. And the question is, is that good value or bad value? So if your number one knowledge article is, where can I download the patch to upgrade my software? Is that a value erosion event or is that a value realization event, right? Um, The test I give the support teams all the time, let's pretend we send out a notice to tell the customer you have to upgrade your software on Tuesday if you want to run your payroll on Thursday and the customer attempts to try to figure out how to do that on Wednesday, can't figure it out. They phone into support. We pick up the phone in four seconds. It is the most perfect 17-minute phone call in the history of all technical support phone calls. Customer gives us a 9.98 out of 10 customer satisfaction score. Are they loyal to us? Was that a great experience? And the answer is no. They had to stop their entire day to figure out how to do this upgrade just so that they could run the payroll that they've already purchased from us. So if we're hanging our hats on high customer sat that are driven on the back of customer value erosion events, that's a great way to go out of business without even knowing that I hit the wall. On the other hand, if I'd kept that customer on the phone just two more minutes and taught them how to do automatic bank checkbook reconciliation and save them you know, two hours a month, now it's a massive value realization opportunity. And when we look at the topics in uh, what, what's coming in through our phone channel or email or chat channel, I'd say 75, 80% of those are value erosion events, right? And my only purpose in life is to automate and eliminate those value erosion events out of the system. Juxtaposed to that in Sage City, most of those conversations are actually value realization events. And in fact, we have sections of the city where you could be an you know, inventory manager talking to another inventory manager about the job of inventory management, not even a sage product conversation. In those role communities, uh, the value realization signature is close to 96%. So really mm-hmm. understanding, am I delivering value realization or value erosion with every interaction? And then think about satisfaction and loyalty against that. I think that's the right place to go. You know, you said something earlier that I just absolutely love. It's so true. Who is our competition? Well, it's any organization that can raise our customers' expectations. And there's so many great examples of customer. Well, I I shouldn't say so many. I actually think services kind of deteriorated over the past couple decades. But what organizations do you emulate or look to or benchmark, if you will, that you think get the customer experience right or at least are really committed to it? I'm a huge fan of innovative companies that take a very uh, ordinary experience and uh, disrupt it. So I think the premise and idea of Air B2B is fascinating. I think that Uber, I'm a massive fan of Uber. Um, The fact that I can be anywhere and uh, their onboarding experience is near instantaneous Mm -hmm. and the convenience is extraordinary. 
Um, so I'm, uh, those kind of models are, are very important to me. And then the entire focus is that customer experience from start to stop. So I think that's a really, really, really big deal. But, you know, I subscribe to Forrester for a lot of thought leadership, and I participate on some of their executive boards. And they produce an annual uh, report of the top customer experience performing companies out there. And top, top of the list repeatedly year over year is Costco. Yes. And what Costco's great at is, you know what? I come there to buy a lot of stuff at a great price, and I don't care about the shopping bag to carry it to the car, right? And they deliver against that promise perfectly, you know? They've so, done a great job um, managing the expectations, kind of, kind of like Southwest. Yeah. You kind of know you're going to be herded around like cattle, but they always exceed your expectations. I say that all the time. And, and growing up in the South, I'll have to say Waffle House. Bar none. Yeah. You walk into the Waffle House, you can see, is there any seats available? Okay, I can sit. You, you give your order to the waitress. She yells it at the cook, who's only two feet away. The cook yells it right back at her. You can see your eggs being made. You know when they're ready. It's, still, it's flawless. It's a flawless customer experience, Waffle House. But Bubba Watson would love that. Didn't he go there after he won the Masters? He did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> quick quick ahead, Waffle Bob. House story, because we have limited time left, but, but my wife and I were traveling through Tennessee. And this is maybe 10, 10 years ago, Brad, and we, we, we pulled into the Waffle House, and uh, my, neither my wife nor I are smokers, but we walk in, and, and my wife says, uh, two non-smoking, <laughs> and the waitress <laughs> looks at her and goes, Honey? This is Tennessee. It's all smoking. The <laughs> all lasted yeah. like a month. <laughs> hey, if you if you have a brand that can generate not one, not two, not six, but I believe nine songs about yourself in your jukebox, clearly you're doing something right, you know? <laughs> Amen. So, listen, I want to ask you about something that, that uh, you picked up on in an email exchange that we had, and that is Tony Shea's Zappos experiment of a couple of weeks ago with his uh, holacracy. What, what do you think yeah. about that? Do you think that's going to be end up improving customer experience for him by, by uh, having 16% of the company leave? Or what, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think it's, I think it's a very exciting social experience, and I also think it's inevitable. Um, the, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that if you read Daniel Pink's book, Drive, right, it talks all about you've got to have, you know, a higher purpose that you're focused on. Um, you've got to be given a sense of autonomy so that you feel like you're the master of your domain. And then you also have to have the time to build up mastery and be recognized for that mastery, right? Like once you're paid a living wage, these are the things that matter. And I think the problem with traditional hierarchies today is that, you know, they're very command and control, very top down, right? Um, and I think the thing of it is, is that as a leader, you've got to give up the illusion of control. Because in our economy today, and especially in a service industry, all your workers really are, are there to give up their knowledge, their passion in the pursuit of that great service experience. So said differently, they're knowledge workers, Right. And uh, knowledge workers are volunteers, right? You can't force people to give up what they know. You could waterboard them, I suppose, but it's not a very practical way to manage your employees. They only volunteer for things they care about, right? And so then your job as a leader is to really drive to a purpose and values and demonstrate your personal commitment to that purpose and values. And through that demonstration, hopefully they will follow. So in this economy, right, what people want is authenticity 
from the service interactions that they have. Well, to be authentic means you're human, and to be human means you're richly human. And so, you know, it's a sin if you have a workforce that, well, I'm sorry, but you're a junior uh, shoe return person, and here's your script, and here's your role, and that's all I expect of you, and I expect you to divorce yourself from your wealth of human experience for the next eight hours and pursue exactly against this, you know, average handle time protocol versus you know what? I used to be a paper boy. I used to work at public supermarket. I used to launch space shuttles. If these things come up in conversation, I might add value to that topic and I might have something to say about it. So if you can build an organization where, you know, it's more of a network, not a hierarchy. And within that network, you're including as equal peers to the conversation, your customers, your employees, uh, the competition partners, even fringe lunatics for that long tail of demand goodness will follow, right? And if the thing's self-referential and it's based on, you know, your contribution of value and how that contribution of value is recognized and reused by others, if it has that sort of premise to it, I think there might be something to what he's trying to do. Absolutely. Well, Brad, we cannot thank you enough. This has been a fantastic conversation for the last hour. As always, and Brad, I look forward to seeing you at, at, at Sage Summit coming up. We, maybe we'll carve out some more time to talk. But uh, Ron, what do we have coming up next week? We have Free Rider Friday, Ed, which is I, always exciting. I love the Free Rider Friday. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours, Ron. All right. Thank you so much, Brad. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com slash TSOE. One, two, three, four.